this uh, podcast episode, I'm I have on Alex Moore. Uh, Alex, just like many men that I've I've introduced onto this podcast, I met through the Uncivilized Nation. Alex is a certified uncivilized men's coach and also a no more Mr. Nice Guy coach, which he'll go deeper into. We we had so many things in common. And as I bring you in, Alex, and, and I'll let you share, the thing that stood out to me the most was that your daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And for those that know and have been following my podcast, my daughter uh, back in 2021 was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And we were just talking about that being your pain point. Before we get into that, Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you like to do. Yeah, thanks, man, for having me. And we have to share the same name as well. Um, <laughs> that similarity. So <laughs> it was funny because I always meet, like my whole life growing up, there's no other Alexes. And now I just meet Alexes all the time now. <laughs> um, but yes, like you said, my name is Alex Moore. I'm originally from uh, um, St. Louis, Missouri, just in Illinois across the river. But yeah, St. Louis, Missouri is uh, my my hometown, grew, born and raised there. Um, family's all still there, but left there in 2008 um, to play rugby over in the UK, London. And from there, met my wife, Paula, who is a Kiwi from New Zealand. And yeah, we got married in 2012, found out we were pregnant with twins in 2013. And then a few short months later, packed up everything and moved back to New Zealand um, to where we are now. We're in the South Island of New Zealand near Queenstown, um, which is a quite a picturesque uh, tourist town here. Um, but yeah, that's where we've been for like nine, nine and a half years. So I've been in New Zealand, yeah, going on 10 this year. So yeah, that's where we're based now. And yeah, that's just, um, I guess, what, what have I like to do? Let's see. Um, so I've been quite keen basketball player for basically my whole life. My team here won the championship that of the league we played in um, two years ago now. So after that, I hung up my hung up my basketball shoes, retired, and picked up jujitsu um, under the recommendation of a few guys in the nation. Robert Wenderlich um, is probably number one, and then Traver, obviously, and a bunch of other guys do jujitsu and have loved that for the last year. Um, and it's something I get to do with my son as well. So basketball is kind of me going off and, and practicing in games, whereas jujitsu, my son and I do it together. So he's seven now. He just turned seven. And yeah, so we started jujitsu when he was six. And when I was 41, yeah, so I turned 42 in like two, three or four weeks. So yeah, that's kind of my hobbies now. I also have a side hustle as a jeweler. And that's how I initially met Traver was I made him a ring. Um, based on one of his quotes, Gold Pan Pete was that jewelry brand. And I've kind of shifted now into a food truck, American style smash burgers here in New Zealand called Buffaloes, uh, which is going awesome. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later on. And yeah, just uh, making a whole shift with my career, getting out of teaching um, for a little while and just seeing how that goes. But yeah, that's kind of my, my thing at the moment. Um, training, exercise, jujitsu, and yeah, just kind of building, building businesses. So that's I, kind of where I'm at at the moment. As I sit here and I listen to that, it's, it's amazing. Um, on, on the similarities that we were talking about, you, you're a basketball player. I'm a basketball player. I, I mean, I can go down the list, BJJ. Mm -hmm. I started BJJ, um, you know, our kids, you know, 2013, 2014, very similar in age, you know, everything that goes down the list. But what's the most inspiring to me uh, that, that I want to transition point here is that even 
you're 41, about to be 42. Even in uh, all this, you've leaned into what else there is, right? Like you, you were living this life and you, you've transitioned and where most men, and I, and I'm speaking from me, um, there's, there's fear that holds us back, right? That, that fear we start to restrict and we don't look, or we don't have curiosity into what else there is for us. And ultimately what it comes down to in this podcast theme this year is turning our pain into our power. And I was telling you before we got on here that our journey uh, as people, but more specifically as men, is sitting with our pain, understanding our pain, knowing our pain, and turning that into our power, our internal power, our heart power, our purpose in life. And you talked about uh, the moment that your life changed was when your daughter was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Take me back there and let's start there. Yeah, so... Like, like when you're saying that about um, fear of going deeper and things, and it's always been like, I've never had a fear of escaping. Um, I guess you could put it like I've always taught, was taught by my mom and dad at a young age that I could yeah, do anything and go anywhere. And like when my, my after high school, I went to school in California, just on my own, moved out there, moved over to the UK, you know, pretty much on my own. And yeah, I was never afraid of those things, but yeah, it was, um, really that fear of going deeper when yeah like i remember i remember everything perfectly clear from 2017 it was literally i think two or three days after mother's day in 2017 um which in new zealand here is in beginning of may i think it's the same as the us um i think it was the uk that was a bit different from mother's day but anyway um yeah my my daughter having this like kind of weird limp for a few days and we thought it looked like she'd like kind of had a hyperextended her knee and so we took her to the doctor and the doctor told us that oh it just looks like it's probably just a viral infection you know kids can get that in their joints and causes issues and then you know didn't quit you know when you feel something but it doesn't sit right like you don't really trust that information like that doctor's diagnosis normally I would have been like, okay, cool. He's a doctor. He knows what he's talking about this time. Didn't sit the same. And I remember looking up online and seeing all these different things, which is the worst thing to do is look online for diagnoses for things. Um, but a friend of my wife, um, my wife sent her friend a video of grace walking. So grace is my daughter. One of the twins that was diagnosed was the one was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And, um, the friend called back at like three in the morning saying like, you need to take her down to the hospital in Dunedin, which is like a three hour drive. Um, so she needs to get an MRI, just get down there as soon as possible. And then, you know, like we're, this is three in the morning where my wife and I are both freaking out. She calls her dad, her dad comes over, take, picks them up and they drive down and I'm staying home with Bo, who my son, who was a year, probably, oh, was he six months old or a year and a half? Uh, yeah, no, a year and a half. He was a year and a half. And, um, yeah, drove them down. I'm, I'm here with the other two kids and just waiting all day. They go to school. Um, I stay home that day because I'm obviously with the kids um, and Bo, who's little, um, and just thinking about it all day. And then that night, I remember the kids go to bed and my wife calls and says, and I'm in the back, our bedroom. I remember sitting on the edge of the bed and being, she's like, Grace has a brain tumor. And I remember just kind of leaving my body and just being like, what? Like, you know, just can't, just total disbelief and just being like, just screaming, no, you know, not Gracie. 
And, um, yeah. And so I can't remember really much of what the conversation was after that. Um, I can't remember if she put me on the phone with the doctor. Um, I think she did, but like that, like I said, after that moment, it was kind of a bit of a blur. And so, yeah, I got off the phone and just remember going and laying on the couch, knowing that I had to call my mom. Cause it was about 10, 11 o'clock, which would have been in St. Louis, you know, six in the morning or so, something like that. And I remember just waiting for that time to come around. So I knew she'd be awake and I called and, you know, I remember talking to her and telling her and basically her words were, you know, I've know we've not been very religious, but just pray, you know, and yeah, got off the phone. I remember I went and slept in Grace's bed, but from that moment, like I just started just the, the mantra of thanking and praying God to God that she was healed from that moment. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah. So then that was kind of the initial days, a couple of days later or the next morning, sorry, some friends drove me down to the hospital. Um, I stayed there, we stayed there a night or two, and then we flew up to Auckland, which is like the main city in New Zealand. Um, it's about a three hour flight. So we're at the bottom of the South Island. Auckland's at the top of the North Island for, um, just geography purposes. And yeah, so got there, we went to the, um, hospital she checked her in and they were going to do a biopsy of it and you know what we were told at the first hospital was it, it didn't look good at all you know it was yeah it was yeah pretty much worst case scenarios and terrible spot they couldn't operate on it and yeah we were preparing for the worst so we get up to auckland to the hospital and we stay in the ronald mcdonald house there um and I remember thinking like, okay, maybe this will be good. We'll be able to meet other families who are in similar situations. Um, and we did, we actually met up some, some really great families, but, but still, yeah. So my daughter had the, the biopsy and I remember too, then like being there when she woke up and the surgeon, who's like the main uh, brain surgeon in the hospital said, you know, from what I can tell and what my experience, like it looks good. And I was like, what is, what the hell does that mean? And he's like, yeah, you know, it looks you know, what I could tell nice and round, it didn't have much kind of going on with it. And what was causing her issues was it had a cyst on it. So this, there's a cyst as part of the tumor that was pressing on the nerves that affected her walking and her right side of the body. Um, and so, yeah, he drained that. And then, yeah, we were in Ronald McDonald house for about a week or so then. And then they said, look, we'll call you in two weeks with the results. And so go back home. My mom had flown in from the States, was with us. And so we went back home, had a couple of weeks and we were in a cafe and the hospital called and, you know, my wife like basically had a panic attack right then and there. Um, and basically they told us that we needed to fly up to um, the next local biggest hospital, which is like a few hour, like a two hour flight to Christchurch. And that's where like the children's cancer ward is, um, the local one on the, for the South Island, the chalk, they call it and they have a meeting there. So we're just like, well, what the hell do we need to have a meeting for? They told us they're going to call us with the results. So they flew us up there the next day. And basically just for the meeting, we're flying us home that night. So basically one, a one day trip to fly up, have this meeting. So we were just expecting the total worst and being in this meeting, like my wife and I are sitting there, the, like the head surgeon and the head oncologist from the child oncology department there was in a meeting. And I remember just them talking, talking and talking, just, just all this kind of this medical jargon, you know, and just carrying on and without giving us any real information. And then 
they kind of they're talking about brain, you know, there's brain tumors and they have different grades. And so there's grade one or which is kind of a, uh, a slow growing and benign and there's grade four, which is, you know, the worst. Um, and I'm imagining him saying like, and it's Grace is a three. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm picturing in my head as he's saying this. And then they're talking again. I'm just like, just get it out, you know? And so he's saying, you know, and, and with Grace's tumor, hers is a grade one. And we're just like, Oh fuck, you know, like total relief. And, um, yeah, I remember just that, Oh man, that moment was so exhilarating. So what she has, I forget that exactly. It's a juvenile polycystic astrocytoma, something like that. I can't remember exact wording of it. Um, but it's in her near her brain stem, so they can't operate on it. Um, but it is a benign tumor and very slow growing. So they said that she could have had it since birth and was growing and just and that it was actually the cyst that alerted them that you know those symptoms that gave us symptoms to tell us what was up with it. Um, but yeah, as part of that and going on, like I had a few friends that I reached out to and you know, like, what do you say to somebody in that situation? And I had a few friends that didn't even reply back. Um, our people in my life, people I thought were friends, you know, that didn't reply back and other friends were just like, Oh, sorry. You know, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, which I can, and I'm thinking like, man, don't you think he'd save it more? But in looking back now, I was like, I think myself, what could I have said? You know, like, what do you say in that situation? And then I had another friend who came in, like met with us and he was like, Oh man, sorry. I didn't get in touch sooner. I just didn't know what to say. And like that made all the difference, you know, him coming and saying that because, you know, you had, like I said, I had people that never, I didn't hear back from, but I'm glad that he was able to come tell me like, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't reach up sooner. I just didn't know what to say. He, he has few kids as well. And, you know, I know his kids are his, his world too, like most dads and, and yeah, so it just meant a lot that he was able to come through with that. But still, I, I still kind of felt just totally alone you know, like I didn't want to talk to my family about it. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I just kept everything in. And just from, I guess, my views of what a dad or my, a man and a husband should be is that I needed to just suck it up and be the one to, you know, just be there for the family rather than been looking after myself. Um, and that, yeah, that was kind of the, the major turning point for me in my life is going from just a kind of a go with the go with the flow type of guy, pretty laid back. Like I remember <laughs> it's a funny story. I had to do community service when I was about 17. No, I'm sorry. About 19. We got caught with a bunch of beer in the car when I was going down to this lake. And um, yeah, so my community service, I went to YMCA to do some community like cleaning and stuff. And I remember one of the other custodians there was like, man, he's like, what drugs are you on? And I was like, I'm not on any drugs, man. Why? He goes, oh, you're, you're like, you're so laid back. You're almost falling down. And that's how kind of, I always kind of wore it as like a badge of honor, you know, like um, just real cruisy, go with the flow and yeah, let other people take the lead. Um, and that's kind of what really that moment, you know, that whole situation with my daughter really kind of changed that in, in realizing that I needed to step up a bit more as a, a husband, as a father and as a man in general. And, you know, it's still a work in progress at the moment you know, as it always is, you know, but, um, I definitely think I've improved a ton on that in that sense. But, uh, and then also just being able to, you know, talk to other men and confide in them. Like I've always, I've realized now that one of some of those wounds that I've had as a child, you know, those masculine and feminine wounds, 
um, that not trusting men. And that goes back to the nice guy stuff that men are the competition. So yeah, sharing this stuff with other men wouldn't make me a strong man in their eyes type of type of mentality. That was kind of what my thoughts were. Um, and it'd make me more weak just in general that, you know, why I need to be a strong man, not, not a weak guy, um, talking about his feelings and, and what's going on and things like that. So, yeah, no, it's what, what came up right there at the end. There's like, this could go so many different ways. You mentioned about the masculine, the feminine wound, right. And, uh, the parent wound and how that plays out or how that can come out in our lives as we, as we get older. Um, but I want to go back to, uh, I want to go back to what you said about like your idea, man, like what you needed to be as a dad was be this, you need to be the driving force. You needed to have suck it up, like no emotion. You needed to be the mountain in the storm, but you didn't have a support system from what I'm hearing. You didn't have a support system. So what were you doing for yourself? Oh, um, I forgot to actually mention. So for a couple of weeks, we were home. Then we had to fly up. So we flew up and got that news. We went back home. And then it was literally probably like a week later that the cyst had filled back up. And the preschool that the girls were at called us and said, look, Grace is not doing very well. And so we took her to the hospital or to the doctor in, in town. And then they said, and they said, look, she needs to go back up to Christchurch up to the hospital. Um, and they didn't really give us, but apparently it was pretty, pretty bad. Like they didn't lead on. We didn't find it out till later. So they flew her up, helicoptered her up with my wife up to Christchurch. And then my wife, or, I'm sorry, the other kids and I drove up the next day. And then we were there for six months. So we still were away from home for six months. Um, I took like leave from work and we stayed in Ronald McDonald, Ronald McDonald house. And so basically I was with the kids, just looking at the kids in this house. And there's all these other families there. My wife spent a lot of time in the hospital with Grace. Um, and then we'd kind of switch out and then eventually she was able to come stay at the house with us, the Ronald McDonald house with us. And we just have to go to the hospital, which is a five minute walk to for her appointments, which are quite often. Um, I was able to go to the gym there, which was quite a good stress reliever. Um, my brother-in-law lives up in Christchurch, which was good. We saw them every now and then. I had a few friends in Christchurch that from when we first moved to New Zealand, we lived there for about a year. And so I had some friends that I would able to go and do stuff with, um, biking or do, go do CrossFit or go do some, we did some boxing with another friend of mine. So a lot of fitness stuff. I, I, when I'm saying this, and also like I uh, mentioned, I have a, a jewelry brand. And so I found like this silversmith guild, which is kind of like an open workshop where the hell you can go and like kind of work on using their equipment and stuff. So I went there and was able to have like a bit of an outlet, but as far as like sharing stuff, it was all just kind of kept in. I remember, excuse me, my brother-in-law brought me to a men's group for his church. And I remember just sitting there in a circle and just thinking like, you know, just my hands on my head, just like, what am I doing here? You know, like this is, this is, I don't want to share anything. These guys are, are weirdos and stuff. And <clears throat> yeah, so I just thought it was super, super strange to be able to, for guys to sit around and just, and talk like this, you know, and it was just a typical men's circle, you know, just sharing what was going on in their life and, and stuff. And I remember too thinking like, yeah, these guys are talking about things that I don't give a shit about, you know what I mean? Like this is going on for me. Um, yeah. Try going through that. I remember kind of thinking, thinking that like, just being like, 
yeah, your problems are nothing compared to what I'm going through and how can you relate? That was kind of my mentality with it. And yeah, left there and was like, I'm never doing anything like that again. That was so uncomfortable. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that was kind of the gist. After six months, we came back home. And then it was really uh, maybe a couple months after that. So there's more, um, it's like we kept got back home about November. And I think it was maybe February or so. My father-in-law and I went to this um, dad's camp, they called it. So one of the organizations that really helped us through our journey is called the Child Cancer Foundation here in New Zealand, a great charity. Um, and they put on these camps for dads and moms, you know, as a bit of an outlet. So they did a retreat for moms one weekend, retreat for dads another weekend, and they fly you up um, to the spot, like in the mountain, kind of right on the river, or on the, on the ocean outside of Christchurch where we kind of were based. Um, like I said, we were back home, flew up there and it was basically um, three days of kind of workshops, different activities, um, hanging out with other, other men who've gone through the same things. And the thing that really kind of shook me was, you know, we were lucky because during this time we were back home, the MRI results from the, that we'd got since then showed that the tumor was shrinking, that the treatment was working. And but we were at this camp where dads that had lost their kids, quite a few had lost their kids. Some were right in the middle of really bad chemos and surgeries and terrible stuff. Um, and we were kind of on the other end and on the, on the, you know, out the door for the most part. And there's a few other dads like that, but then looking at seeing the strength of these um, dads that had lost their kids, you know, was really inspiring. And then from there, they had a lot of the circles there. And I think just hearing other guys who were going through the same thing or gone through worst or worst things. And then I couldn't say to myself, Oh, what do you guys know about this stuff? You know what I mean? Like these guys have been through hell and back and are, have lived through it and, and they're, are there sharing and helping others who are going through it, you know, when they've had the worst possible um, outcome from, from their, their journey with their child. Um, and yeah, and they're seeing too, like being there with my father-in-law and us being in the circle and him like totally breaking down and crying. Um, just basically thinking the same thing that like he thought that Grace was going to die, you know, and just to just to, for him to, to see him share quite openly like that really was a huge um, motivator for me. So from then, yeah, then I kind of had a whole change of mindset about, you know, what it was to be able to share and be a man. and. Um, you don't have to just keep everything all locked up inside. You, you're able to share and, and um, yeah, so that was, that was huge for me. And then, yeah, things kind of gradually got back to semi-normal, you know, we just have to travel um, down to the hospital, which the two hour, the first hospital we went to for the chemo, like once a month. And then after a year of doing that, then that was done. And now she just has six months MRIs and everyone since then has been great. And I think, now we've just had the last one in oh, when was the last one December, I guess. Yeah. Everything was fine with that. And I'm hoping then it will go to either yearly or be totally done with them because they're all, they're, yeah, nothing has ever changed in seven months. And I remember we had a, an after treatment meeting with the oncologist who I became actually quite friends with the, um, one of the oncologists there, but we had a meeting with him and uh, I said, look, as does this kind of thing, go back. And he's like, look, I can't say that it ever won't, but he's like, I've never seen it. This type of tumor kind of start growing again after it's kind of died. And as she gets older, because it's like a juvenile based tumor, 
as she gets older, she obviously gets bigger, you know, so the tumors stay the same size, which is good. It's still got a bit of room for growth because she's growing. And also they just kind of seem to go dormant um, once they kind of die out like that. Um, so knock on wood, that's the, that's what's going to happen. And she'll be Lita. I think she has a, she has a shunt that drains the cyst constantly if it needs to. Um, and I think the only side effect is that she won't ever be able to go scuba diving because she has this cyst, but everything else, she's pretty much back to normal, healthy. They just started school. She's um, year five, which is th- fourth grade in the US. Um, and yeah, doing great. And yeah, you wouldn't really know anything ever happened. And we kind of try to put that out of our, out of our mind now, but yeah, it never really is, but you know, you try to just move on and close that chapter and open up the next one, which is kind of what we've done. Yeah. You know, I, I, when you had said you, you put it out of your mind, what, what came to mind was a, a, an Instagram reel that I saw with Gabber Mate, I think that's what you say, how you pronounce his name. Yeah. And, he, and he talks, yeah. it, he was talking about mental illness, but the message was that we all have a choice, right? We all have a choice that we can allow our, our, uh, the things that we are experiencing in life, our experiences to either hold us back or use them to, you know, propel us in, in the right direction, to propel us to our highest self. That's the message that I've taken with regards to my, my daughter is, you know, like the tumors healed, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're doing well, like it's, it's gone. I, that's the message I send to my kids. And, and so that's an admirable when I hear you say that. And I'm, and I'm so glad that uh, things are, are going well for, for your daughter and for your family. What came to me as you were talking, and it ties back to something you said earlier about your masculine feminine wound, is that being exposed in that six month period at Ronald McDonald House uh, and, and being able to be in some men's group and men's community uh, or, or seeing that vulnerability side, would you say that part of your masculine wound or your father wound or parent wound, whatever you want to name it, uh, there, there was some healing that occurred there? Um, uh, I, th- yeah, yeah. I haven't really thought about more of those, those masculine feminine wounds going with that kind of part of me, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely think there has been some things definitely that have, um, healed, for example, like being able to trust men more, you know, that's one of them. Like I said, um, being less passive, being more of a leader, um, you know, there's some other, other rooms, like I said, I've had to work on since then, um, more with my relationship with my wife, you know, like we were there to support each other, but it still was kind of, man, the situation we were in. Yeah. We were just, it was, we were living in like, basically like a two bedroom little hotel room for six months, you know, so very close quarters, not much time really on our own to do things. Um, so yeah, so definitely the relationship, I think, we were there for each other, but yeah, I think it wasn't like the greatest, I guess, um, because we were there more for our daughter rather than for ourselves. If that makes sense. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And then that, that's kind of where I got into the knowing Mr. Nice guy journey after that, because I was looking on, I, f- I forget actually how I found the book, but downloaded it and, you know, listened to it on audible's audio version and remember thinking like, Oh my God, like this book is, written about me you know and and then i told my wife about it we were actually going on a date and the place was about 45 minutes away and we listened to it and she was like it's thought the exact same thing a few little things like a lot of like um 
one trait of some nice guys, one of them can be dishonesty. And like, I don't, and she agreed. She's, I don't really feel like I'm dishonest. Um, and yeah, same with, same with, she felt the same, but everything else was pretty much just pretty much spot on. Um, yeah, not a lot of sexual shame. I don't think I have a lot of sexual shame, but um, yeah, pretty much everything else as far as, you know, like being a people pleaser and having covert contracts and keep going. Um, Cause this is a good transition. So for those that don't know, yeah. like what is it? What is a nice guy? Like this is your bread and butter. Let's get into it. Yeah. So basically, yeah, being, being passive, um, being laid back, having covert contracts, um, validation, trying to find validation in, in things, a lot of things like, yeah, sex and stuff like that. Um, geez, uh, people pleasing, not having boundaries, um, just being no real ambitions, procrastinating, um, uh, not following through with things you say you're going to do. Um, so a lot of those are all traits of, of, you know, the nice guy syndrome, they call it. Where did this nice, going back to your story real quick, like where did this mm -hmm. nice guy syndrome, like where did it show up in your life? You know, is this has been some, yeah. you know, propels you forward. Like, obviously that, you know, there was, there was something there that you said that like, Hey, this was me. Where did that show up in your life? Um, yeah, I think probably main thing was, uh, oh, people pleasing, um, not having boundaries. Um, and I remember one time but my wife, like we were talking, actually, I think it was the same date and we were talking about boundaries and she's like, I need boundaries. Like she actually came out and said it. And I remember thinking like, I don't even know what boundaries are. And I remember having to go to Google and look up what are boundaries in a relationship type thing. And yeah, so that was, that was the main thing. Um, yeah. Just people pleasing and avoiding conflict. Yeah. Just trying to do anything to, you know, avoided um, conflict with people or, and my, and my wife and being a doormat, you know, let people walk all over me and, and, you know, just in, in various things, but yeah, procrastination and, doing stuff that I said I wanted to do or never followed through with or saying stuff I was going to do, uh, which actually kind of leads into then the food truck later on. And, um, and basically, yeah, sticking to my word and, and doing it. But uh, yeah, like I said, some nice guys have a lot of sexual shame and um, are dishonest, you know, lots of times where, you know, to be a nice guy, you don't have to have every single thing, but yeah, a lot of the things like I talked about were the typical nice guy stuff as your exposure to Ronald McDonald's house and, and you started to see men's group and then you found no more Mr. Nice guy. Uh, talk to me about the months leading after that exposure and then finding Mr. No more Mr. Nice guy. Like what resources, what started to change in your life? What were things that you started to excel or to do uh, that you weren't doing before your daughter's diagnosis? One was, I think after we got back home, I kind of, like I said, I was having, time to be able to work out quite a bit. Um, I did a lot of CrossFit before the diagnosis. And after coming back, I just let that fall off the, you know, fall off my radar and just kind of let myself go and wasn't caring for myself and was just being like a, a slob really, you know, just watching, just staying up too late, watching TV and just sitting at home, not doing much. And like, I've kind of, since my twenties, I've kind of dwindled down from drinking so i wouldn't sit at home and like drink or anything um but uh yeah i guess from i guess it was probably like yeah 2018 for a couple of years was just kind of just kind of going with the flow but um 
yes, once I started kind of diving into moments of nice guy was, I think actually, I probably kept things pretty similar. Like I knew of it, I was starting to become aware of it, but I hadn't really made a lot of changes. Um, I didn't really do the activities that's recommended to go through the um, healing for, from being a nice guy or the, the recovery. And this probably was, you know, through lockdown here, like we were, we, you know, like most places with COVID and lockdowns and things, um, home with the family, like that was quite a good time for our family. Um, we were lucky because I'm a teacher. I was a teacher. So I was getting paid still. I know like it's hard to say that because a lot of people lost their jobs and things, but we were in our situation. We were quite lucky. It was warm outside. So we could spend a lot of time outside as a family and yeah, just, just doing things. And I spent a lot of time on just learning and kind of improving myself and, um, online doing online learning. Like I learned how to do kind of 3d CAD design for like my jewelry and things. So just trying to better myself in that way. Um, but like, but like I mentioned, like no huge changes and it was really probably 20, I think it was 2021, early 2021 when I discovered then, uh, man uncivilized. So Traver's book, I'd saw it on Instagram. Someone else had posted about it and yes, started following Traver and then saw his book and then, yeah, listened to his book and then kind of like no Mr. Nice guy, uh, man uncivilized really kind of resonated with me and kind of kicked me into gear. So one of the, you know, I started getting, I got a hold of Traver and made a ring, um, for him and yeah, sent it to him. And then he's telling about the nation and, um, yeah, ended up joining the nation. And that was probably a huge, huge, yeah booster to kind of where I am today was joining the nation and not being that lone wolf. Like I don't, I didn't have many friends here, maybe just like a couple, a couple of guys from like basketball or one, one friend, good friend from basketball and another friend just from doing jewelry. He's a, like a Canadian guy. That's the local jeweler in town. So yeah, I became good friends with him. But um, yeah, as far as like a, a tribe of men, like the nation was, that's what that kind of brought me. And yeah, since then, has been huge in my growth. So I think, like I said, joined the nation early 2021. And then my wife and I actually saw this. Um, so that those indigenous people in New Zealand are the Maoris. And so we, I saw this Maori healer who's an empathetic healer. And basically he could feel stuff in his body, your pains and your aches and can kind of, um, diagnose them and relate them back to traumas and kind of more emotional stuff. And so seeing him, like it sounds, I was a bit weary. Like I was, my wife went and saw him first. When she came back, she's like, you have to go see this guy. He's amazing. Like he was able to tell me all this stuff about you. That was totally true. You know, basically saying all like the nice guy stuff um, to my wife without even meeting me. And so I went and saw him and yeah, a lot of the stuff was right-sided pain, you know, like, um, which is pain, you know, like from the, the masculine side. Yeah. Um, and I was awful. I was also having some like forearm pain, like kind of more like a, uh, in the joint of my elbow there from like, imagine like, you know, that muscle, if you're doing pull-ups, that kind of muscle there in your forearm that gets worked. So it was like super sore for months. And he rated that related that to a block in like creativity and like wanting to do more, you know, and like basically, yeah, I was kind of just stuck in my ways and needed to 
get more of an outlet and more of a, a different kind of, yeah, career type of thing. And so he was basically told me, he's like, you know, you're being a teacher is you're kind of subconscious telling you that you need to be a father figure in these kids' lives, whether they need it or not. Um, he's like, I don't see that being your true calling. And he's like, I don't think you have a passion for it. And I was actually like, had started to, I did, but I'd kind of long been becoming burnt out on it over the, over the years. And he's like, I see you, I see your calling is working with like kind of young men and men as like a mentor or a coach. And in that sense, so that was quite eye awakening, you know, eye opening for me. Um, and he's he actually, yeah, said some other things too. That was quite mind blowing. So over the last few years, I've been having like issues with my ear, um, vertigo and like tinnitus and ringing and in my left ear. And he goes, and without saying anything about it, he goes, have you been having trouble with your left ear? So I was like, oh, that's weird. How did you know that? Yes, I have. And he goes, I, I like, I can sense your a grandmother who's passed, you know, who's passed away. That is, I can sense her um, basically being in your ear, well, literally, I guess, um, telling her that, telling me that it's my really important to support my wife and what she was doing. And what my wife was actually doing was starting a coaching practice herself for women. Um, and so, and she, he was able to describe my grandma and he's like, she's very, uh, very strong-willed, kind of almost emasculating type of woman, and which is 100% true. And she's like, not a man hater, but like very mask, you know, like very, you know, puts men down and stuff and not your typical kind of real sweet grandma, and which was totally true about my grandma. And yeah, that kind of blew me away um, with that. So Fast forward a few months, then Traver and Dave from Uncivilized Nation announced that they're having a coaching and leadership, a coaching certification and leadership course. And from then I knew that, yep, this has all happened for a reason and I needed to take it. Um, so I did. And then, yeah, started my coaching kind of business, Forged by Fire Coaching, not long after that. And then that next kind of January, which was last January now, um, January, 2022 finished my no more Mr. Nice guy coaching certification with Dr. Glover, who's the author of no more Mr. Nice guy. So I've, yeah, learned directly under him and have been working with him, uh, on different projects. We actually have a big project that I'm working with him and if like three or, uh, like five other coaches on, um, that's coming out this, this year, uh, which is going to be huge and really excited for, but yeah, I've been helping him kind of co-coach and, um, in some of his groups that he has and yeah, it's just been great. And along with my own kind of private coaching and group coaching. So yeah, working with men in, in that sense and basically like wanting to be a support unit or support person and a coach for men that have gone through similar things or struggling or, you know, just haven't had someone had their back, you know, and just wishing that I want, I want to be someone that I wish that I had when I was kind of going through my, my struggles. Um, and even when I was younger too, kind of when I was kind of a bit misguided and, you know, not doing shit properly. And, you know, just like I said, being that laid back guy and just going with the flow rather than, you know, stepping into my masculinity and, and uh, yeah, taking, taking charge of my life. 
how is the men's group or men's work in general? Uh, you, you found Traver and Man Uncivilized in early 2021. How has that up-leveled you, you know, surrounding yourself with men? I think just not relying on my wife to fill all my buckets. You know, I'm able to, if I have a problem, I'm able to call up a bunch of guys and talk to them and they're able to give me advice and help me out. And so I'm not having to go to my wife about every little thing, which can be overwhelming to her, you know, and, you know, uh, one of the things we learned for about in with, you know, from Dr. Glover was he does these things called uh, uh, cooperative uh, reciprocal relationships, which is basically like a relationship where you're both getting something, whether it's money, could be money, like a coach and a client. That's a, you know, you're, you're getting one person's getting coaching, other person's getting paid for it. Um, it could be a business. It could be, you know, like if I have a need to get my teeth fixed, or if I go to cleaned or something, then that relationship with that dental hygienist or the dentist, uh, I'm paying them and they're doing that service to me. So they're filling all the different buckets um, and not relying on just one person, which previously was my wife, to fill those buckets. You know, and it doesn't have to be a person like, like the gym can be that relationship. Like you're paying to go to the gym, but you're getting fitness and exercise and that, you know, stress relief and those endorphins, all the things that working out does, you're getting that in return. Um, so yeah, just taking that load. Like I think that load off that emotional load off my wife and yeah, not coming to her with every little thing. Um, but also, yeah, just being able to share stuff that I wouldn't share with my wife. You know, and instead of keeping them all in or, you know, and, and yeah, just, just venting and, and yeah, talking to the guys and talking about men's stuff, I guess. I remember uh, when I started this, I, I didn't feel like I had anyone. You mentioned being alone. And when I started to surround myself with men that were doing the work, that were in these circles, that were venting, that I, I, I realized that my relationship specifically with my wife change because so oftentimes subconsciously as men we look to our our spouses our significant others our partners whatever you want to call them we look at them as you know like hey i need you to fill all my needs and that's draining mm -hmm. right that 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 kills yeah. the polarity it it can drain the relationship and and so the you know what you said about having other people to fit your needs to fill your needs uh, and the power of men's work and, and men that are able to hold that space transitions me to seeing this healer and uh, in, in talking about that you had this blockage around creativity. You started to be in this men's group. This last couple of years have been pretty big for you from seeing you on social media with buffaloes. And, and obviously, like, I know that you were doing uh, Gold Pan Pete, but like working through jewelry and, and opening the restaurant and doing all these other things. Talk to me about that. Cause most men, when you're stuck in a path or when you're, when you're driving to someone else's dream and then you sit with yourself and you realize, Hey, I'm burning out. This is not my dream. There's the fear of not being enough. There's the fear of not being able to provide fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of, you know, all this fear comes up and they don't take the step. You just lean face first and, and started stepping. Yeah. So just a bit about the cooking and stuff. Like I've always 
when we've had barbecues and here I'd always love to make like foods from the states that I love in this and kind of replicate them. And, and, um, I did a bit of cooking during lockdown and stuff too. So I learned a bit more, but, um, yeah, I would always have, when we'd have people over a barbecue and I'd make burgers and different deep fried Oreos and different things that you get in the States. And, um, people, all the, our friends were like, Oh, you need to open up a, a cafe or a restaurant or a food truck type of thing. And I'd always kind of been like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And it would, would always look online and see ones for sale and just being like, Oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be so cool and never do anything more. And, um, it was actually a friend of mine, um, from basketball, my good friend messaged me a Facebook link and it was a, a local food truck that was for sale. And it was literally like in town and I messaged a guy and I said, Oh, look, how much is it? You know, just, just, just checking it out. And he told me, and I was like, Oh, wow, that's a lot cheaper than I thought. It's basically half of what I thought of what the other kind of going ones would be around. So quite cheap. And so I talked to my wife and she was like, just do it. She's like, we've been, you've been talking about it for ages. What, what's, what's the worst thing that could happen if we just did it? And I said, well, we think about it that way. Um, if it didn't work out, we'd probably sell it for double what we paid for it. And she's like, all right, we'll do it then. And so, yeah, messaged the guy and was like, yeah, I'll take it. And so, yeah, well, I went around and looked at it and stuff, but yeah, messaged him and said, yeah, I'll take it. And yeah, it was really that, that thing of, of just basically having that attention and thinking, you know, what's to lose, you know, think about the worst case scenario. Okay. It doesn't work out. I can't do it. Am I going to die? No. Uh, is it going to bankrupt me? No. Is it, you know, can I sell it for, you know, even if not double what I pay for it, can I get my money back? Yeah, absolutely. What's the harm in trying? And so he said, yeah, fuck it. And yeah, bought it. And basically it's been a huge hit. And basically it was just going to start off as a side hustle and it quickly became, it quickly fit a gap in the market that we didn't know the town was looking for, you know, and that's kind of a quality, high quality food, um, easy to get a takeaway, but, but at a decent price still. And so, yeah, people love the food. Um, we got some really loyal supporters in the last year. So in 2022, my year was the year of commitment. And I was basically committing to doing the things that I say I was going to do. So it started with the food truck. Um, and yeah, basically everything along with that was, was basically based on that year. So I said I was going to stop, um, stop drinking for the year. And I did. Yes, I went for the year and still still going. So I probably won't go back. Um, so yeah, stuck to that commitment, uh, then done 75 hard, did 75 hard phase one, just did phase two in January and have just started phase three, um, a couple of days ago. Um, so yeah, the commitment to do 75 hard, the commitment to, um, stick to a workout plan and, and kind of take my care of myself better with all those kind of foundations of sleep and, um, working out, eating right movements. Um, yeah committing to all that stuff. And then kind of halfway through the year, I was like, look, wonder what would happen if I took this thing full time. You know, like I said, I was becoming burnt out at teaching and probably, uh, this must've been September, October last year. I talked to my boss, the principal at my school. And I said, look, this is what I want to do. I want to take a year's refresher leave. They call it here. Um, and he was totally supportive, said, 
hey, if you don't do it now, you don't want to have those regrets down the line of what could have been. And so it's been super supportive. So into the school year, the school year here in New Zealand goes from like February or end of January till December. So the school year finished in December. We just had summer vacation and Christmas break and all that stuff. And the kids went back yesterday and, you know, today's their second day uh, back to school and I'm, yeah, not teaching and it feels great. And, you know, just feels like it's meant to be like, I'm not worried about anything because I know over the last year I've built up that reputation and that business to where it's overtook my teaching job. You know, it overtook the income my teaching job provides and then able to um, focus more on taking in more coaching clients and running more groups and things, which will be starting up soon. Um, a few, a few groups that we got that I have going, um, but yeah, just following that commitment. And so this year was the year of freedom. So of working towards financial freedom, the freedom of, you know, not having a boss or not say a boss, cause not having a job where I was the employee, let's say that. Because oh, cool. yeah, I didn't. I did have a boss, but a principal is a bit different than a boss, like at a, a commercial business. But um, and all and all the same, yeah, freedom. Um, yeah, continuing the freedom from alcohol, and we're actually looking. We're going to a meeting after this call, actually, with a, a home builder. So we're building a. We're going to be building a new a new house um, this year. Like the place we live now is awesome. We lived here for nine years just about eight and a half, nine years. It's my in-laws kind of property. It's a cherry orchard. And so, yeah, they end up selling the orchard in the house. And actually the, the section that we're buying is just really right next door. It's on the pretty much, they split the land off a couple acres, a few, like 10 years ago. And so, yeah, we're going to build on that. So it'll be, yeah, freedom of freedom, we freedom of rent, so to say, but um, yeah, have our own kind of space, two acres with a, a little, a little house on and stuff and yeah just keep growing the the business and both businesses my wife's business her coaching business so yeah that's the the goal of freedom freedom of kind of strings that tie us to things and just kind of living on our own living our own kind of lives yeah knowing you personally like i i celebrate that everything that you just said man it brings brings immense joy listening to that leaning into your creativity going back to this creativity piece, right? Because men, uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're so stuck with structure, we're the driving force, we, you know, things have to be a certain way, we don't like to go with the flow, leaning into your creativity, and allowing just to whatever flows flows, what changed for you as a man? What started coming, coming up? Yeah, just, yeah, I guess I've always had like that fear of uh, probably not a fear with money, but a, a, a deep down kind of thing with money, like growing up, you know, I remember money was not totally abundant. Like we were always provided for, like my dad worked super hard, like he worked all the time. And that's where I think some of my nor Mr. Nice Guy stuff comes from is that my dad worked, you know, when we were home. And so I didn't have a, a lot of time to spend with him. Um, or as if he was home at nights, you know, with us and like he was away a lot of the weekends but um, always provided for us plenty, you know, like we had a lake house down in Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri and a boats and, and jet skis and stuff. So we were definitely, I'd say probably middle to higher class, but then not a lot of, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, when you're a kid, you don't really see those kind of things. You don't really, I guess you just want more than you, than you have, I guess. Obviously there's people that had a lot less, you know, but yeah, I guess always just never really knowing what to do with money. And so now I've learned to 
you know, learned about investing and learned about um, uh, like building a business and how it works and taxes and all that stuff. So it's just like getting rid of those fears. Um, and I learned that too, kind of in a very small side hustle business with my jewelry business, which was a creative thing. And that actually came up like just out of um, interest when I was getting married, the, the jeweler that was making my rings, I was talking to him about making it and he taught, you know, that taught courses. And so I ended up taking a course from him for about a year um, on jewelry making just a private kind of private lessons at his, his studio and just loved it. And I found out later that my grandma's grandfather. So my, I guess my great, great, great grandfather, somewhere along this, a few greats in the grandfather list, you know, when they first, so they were from Germany, came to the St. Louis area and were jewelers, you know, something I didn't know until I started being jewelers. And my grandma actually still has some of the jewelry that they made. And I was able to find some online, you know, um, some eyeglasses and like a pocket watch they had made. I actually got them on my screen now at the moment, just a picture of the screenshot of them. But yeah, stuff like, yeah, I guess it, yeah, that creative sense kind of runs in your, runs in your genes almost, but yeah, it's just that outlet, I think of, and that feminine side, like I, like growing up and being more of the nice guy and really emotional as a kid and, and sensitive, a sensitive kid, I wouldn't say emotional, but yeah, a sensitive kid um, and kind of being more in my feminine, I guess, growing up, but then shifting that, I guess, to almost probably hyper masculine once like the stuff with grace came up and, and being that kind of the tough guy, I had to be a tough guy type of person and be strong all the time. And I think that that jewelry and the creativity kind of balances out a bit. You know, we all have masculine and feminine energies that it's best when they're balanced. You don't want to have too, too much masculine or too, too much feminine. And so, yeah, the creativity. So I've, I've kind of taken a break from jewelry, but I've had that, um, that feeling, I get like a feeling where it's like, I need to make something. I need to like do something creative or, or something like that. And I actually, like when I saw the guy, the healer, he, he recommended like um, guitar or something like that, or music, musical type of creativity. So I'll grab it real quick. I'll show you what I got. There Is that a ukulele? Ukulele. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> Elvis Presley ukulele. So those watching it just got a big uh, blue star on it. It says Elvis and it's got Elvis in like the fifties. I don't know. What's his dance called? You know, you know you're from Tennessee, aren't you? I am from Tennessee. And I was about <laughs> to say from someone that's from Tennessee, I, I can't remember the dance off the top of my head. You know, the Elvis dance where he's on his toes, like jiggling his hips, whatever it is. So for you guys listening, that's what the, the ukulele is. I won't play you a song. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I need to, I actually haven't busted out for a while. So I need to, I've been having that itch, that internal itch to, to, to start playing it again and, and learning some new songs and things, but yeah, balancing out that, those energies and that polarity, you know, in yourself. And I'm actually doing a, um, there's a, there's a, a guru, masculine, feminine energy guru, Jake Woodard. I know um, who he is. A, yeah. I'm doing a course with him right now on like kind of the masculine, feminine polarities. Um, but yeah, it's good stuff. It's quite interesting. I, I'm interested in a lot in it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you hit that point because that's exactly where I was hoping you would take it. As men, we get so stuck in our ways that we, we sometimes don't have the curiosity into what there could be if we just let things flow. And I've, I've seen it, I've experienced it firsthand. I've also seen it with the men that are around me that I've, that I've surrounded 
you know, my content intake, you know, the people I talk to and how much more of an integrated man, you know, you, you become because you get to experience not just the masculine side, but also the feminine side. And that makes you a, a whole different being. This last year, I've leaned hard into spirituality. And, mm. and, and when I mean spirituality, I don't mean religion. I mean spirituality and understanding chakras and understanding energies and masculine, feminine, at all. Being souls in a human experience, what would you leave behind for your future self? Mm. What would I leave behind for my future self? Like something physical or just any type of? Well, I can give you what, I, what I'm working on. Uh, I'm writing a book and it's really a book about just things that I've learned in this journey of men's work and, and identifying, discovering myself. And I'm, I'm leaving that behind in, in, in hopes and effort to when I find that in my next lifetime that I can practice it a lot sooner. Mm many people out there and, and, I, and I can say myself is I want to leave a lasting legacy. Like I want to leave an impact so big that it, it changes the world for generations to come. And so that's where I, I think I'm going with that question. I would leave just a few, a few truths, I guess. Um, one would be to try as much things out as you can just just test the waters with so much stuff. Don't be afraid to do new things. Don't be afraid to go places. Don't be afraid to start businesses. Don't be afraid to, yeah, just give things a go. Because like we talked like before we start recording, like you learn, you'll fail and you'll learn from those failures. And those will be the greatest things like stick and do the hard things because they're worth it in the end. Um, live with integrity and yeah just enjoy every moment because as a dad now and the, like i said this kid's starting up school and you realize like man they're just getting older and older and you're like you you've missed those times when they were you know tiny and so just enjoy every moment even when they're they're sometimes hard moments um especially like, like our story with grace, like that was a hard time, but yeah, we learned so much about ourselves and realized we learned how much strength we actually had, um, going through that. So yeah, that would be, that would be my kind of thing. I leave back for the future generations. Um, because I don't want them living the same life that I've led. I want them to live their own, forge their own path, you know, and, but, but if they follow those, they'll, you know, don't give up, keep going you know, and just, just like the things I said, um, things will work out great in the end. Tell people how they can work with you. Uh, if, if your message, your story, it resonates, how they can get in touch. My Instagram is a great way. That's probably the social media I'm most active on is forged by fire coaching. That's, um, F O R G E D, um, dot fire dot coaching. Um, and my, or my website, this is www.forgebyfirecoach.com. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. Um, yeah, like I said, Instagram is the biggest, the biggest, um, are the most, most popular social media for me that I use. Like I mentioned, um, we've got some men's group coaching coming up. Um, 
me and another coach, me and another Mr. Nova, Mr. Nice Guy coach. Um, we've done it in the past with groups of guys. So it's basically our own little kind of cohort of a men's group online. We do it. Um, and we go through all sorts of kind of topics like um, finding your values and, oh, that's what it was I was going to talk about. Anyway, I'll go back to that now. Um, yeah. So basically finding your values and, and how to lead and talking about the polarity and sexual polarity and finding it with your wife, with those masculine and feminine energies. Um, yeah, that's kind of the gist of the men's group coaching. So, and then it's open to other topics. You know, if, if some of the guys in it are going through some things, we discuss it and go over it like that. Um, the big one that I'm launching with Dr. Glover is kind of a men's community uh, for no Mr. Nice Guy stuff and a lot of coaching that he does kind of uh, is based on, you know, the, the no Mr. Nice Guy symptoms and breaking through those those and busting out and recovering from those symptoms and becoming a recovering nice guy. Um, but courses and, you know, coaching on uh, procrastination and, you know, getting what you want in life and being stuck in a, you know, stuck in a, a job that you hate, you know, and just being passive and setting boundaries and all these, all these things we can go into um, as far as that there's, we're going to be launching programs for those. So any issues really that guys have in that no Mr. Nice Guy sense, like there will be coaches and solutions for um, for those issues um, and more. So yeah, coming soon with that, but happy to, if anybody's keen or interested, then to get in touch and they can go on like kind of a waiting list, email list um, for more information. Lots of stuff for guys that, that need the help and are interested in nice guy stuff or associate with being a nice guy. But what I was going to say before is that we, you talked about like kind of learning and, and that's actually one of my kind of core values is a love of learning. Like one of my, one of my um, virtues, the love of learning. And it's totally true. Like I'm just constantly in the search of knowledge. If something interests me, then I'm keen to find out how to do something or how to work something. Um, and just, yeah, doing, I like to do a lot of different courses and learning and just constantly up, up, up leveling myself, you know, hence the, the course I'm doing at the moment with, with Jake Woodard, um, kind of really diving deep in those masculine and feminine energies. There's so much more included in it. Like you said, like the chakras and all that spirituality and stuff. And, um, I'm actually finishing another coaching program, coaching certification, um, through a guy called Brian Johnson. Have you heard of him? And his program is heroic heroic program optimize optimize heroic so i've been um another uncivilized coach ryan conklin and i have been doing it for the last year um but i'm finished we're finishing it up yeah very soon and a really like kind of thing that came up just recently in one of the lessons was uh and a lot of his is like philosoph philosophical and and um spirituality and you know that sort of thing like you're talking about and one thing that came up was in this one, one of the textbooks that he kind of goes over was if you can only say one prayer, you know, for from now on, or for, if you only say one prayer, have be like a prayer of gratitude. And that really brought me back to, like I said, the mantra that I used with my daughter, that was that thank you God for healing my grace. 
you know, and like that really hit home. And I just listened to it yesterday. So yeah. And saying that too, yeah, just really brought back that gratitude and um, yeah. Gratitude for the situation and the journey I've been on gratitude and meeting you and the rest of the guys in the nation, but, and gratitude for, for being on this podcast, being able to share my story. And yeah, you, you never know what, um, what ways that ripple will, will take it, you know, if someone listen to this podcast and boom, what, what will go from there. So hopefully it resonates with somebody and, you know, then they're able to do great things with some information they've heard from this, this podcast. So yeah. That's why, yeah. Thank you, man, for having me. I'm really appreciative of it and grateful we could finally do it. And like I said, yeah. it's been um, this year. Now the kids are back to school, summer breaks over and I'm not back teaching. It's like, yeah, it's open my calendar. So I'm glad we're able to, to jump right on it straight away. Get Absolutely. It out, get it I, I appreciate everything, man. I appreciate your vulnerability and your, your curiosity uh, to learning. Uh, and, and if there's one thing that I can push to, to men that's listening to this podcast is being curious in your expansion, right? And, and that having pain, right? Painful moments in our life, it's okay. Like normalizing that painful moment and sitting with it and having the curiosity to lead into the expansion that comes with it. And, and that's the message that I get from you and from your, mm -hmm. from your story is that you haven't allowed anything that's come up in your life limit you to expand, and to be curious mm -hmm. and being the best version of yourself. And so I, I just appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks, Alex.